there's this approach that you would want to consider, this is the first thing I would say, is speed work isn't necessarily effort or a pace. And this is what many misunderstand. Speed work for you could just be a focus on increasing the leg turnover. Of course, uh -huh. the heart rate will go up, different groups or muscle groups are stimulated, you're lighter on your feet, more of your running form is up high and behind you. So it just changes the physiology a little bit of, of your movements and your recruitment. You can work on higher turnover. That's all you need to focus on. Now, we both know that as you're doing that, of course, the heart rate's going to kick up and of course, the pace is going to improve. But Getting away from those two parameters and focusing on cadence helps a lot of people. Hi everybody and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 149. And this week we are back with another consult, in this case an ultra runner, and we dive into a variety of different questions, training insights, in order to get him ready for a 50 miler, but also following that up with a marathon a few months later. In between, he throws in a 50k as part of his training. We dive into all different aspects of ultra running training, and I hope from that you can glean some nuggets and some tidbits that help you in your training. That's the main reason I try to add these consults to the podcast because there's a variety of topics we discuss, nuggets we dive into, techniques, training methodology, philosophy, and mindset. Some of the topics we dive into today include running cadence and remaining focused on good technique despite the volume increasing for the training and how to run light on feet and what it means to change speeds to break out a current speed that we're stuck with or pace that we're stuck with. This athlete described that he was stuck in one pace and he doesn't really like speed work that much. So we discuss how to break out of that mold and hopefully have him running faster despite not really leaning into the speed work that he likes to avoid. We also talk about why it's important to blow up and what that tells us and why we need blowing up as part of our training, why we need those insights. We discuss running 50 milers with limited training time. This athlete doesn't seem to have a lot of time on his hands with regards to training hours during the week especially. So we look at how we can maximize his limited training time as he's getting ready for a 12, 13, 14, 15 hour event. And then we unwind the training a little bit on how to go backwards from a 50 miler to a marathon, almost half the distance. What do we do with our training? Well, how do we recover best from the 50 miler and throw in the 50K in there, what the mindset and approach to that might be. The fun part on consultations is that it is a high level conversation with athletes providing a roadmap. Not really the details of day-to-day -day training, but maybe the scaffolding or the outline in order to have a successful event. I like to usually check in with the athlete after about 10 to 12 weeks to monitor, see, get feedback, adjust what they're observing in order to continue to ensure that they're on the right path. 
It is just a high level conversation and it is ideas to then for the athlete to integrate this type of training into their weekly daily plans and build their own training plan from what we discussed. That allows the consultation to have a good discussion around training approach, methodology, and little things you're looking for to learn from the training itself. You don't have those watchful eyes over your proverbial shoulder with regards to training peaks to ensure that the training is being absorbed properly, that the adaptations are happening, that the stimulus is working. I hope you enjoy this conversation that is heavily focused on ultra running, but I believe there's a variety of ultra endurance tidbits throughout the conversation. You're getting ready for a 50 miler, you said. Why don't you start from there, sort of what, what we're talking about? Sure. Yeah, so just a little bit about me. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I've been running casually for about 20 years. I've done probably a um, little over a dozen marathons, probably equally as many half marathons. I've done a couple of 50Ks, and I did a 50 miler earlier this year in January. Um, what I'm, I want to do the same 50 miler um, this coming January, um, mm-hmm. barring that they don't cancel it. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that it'll still be on. And if it, if it doesn't, I'll do my own kind of curated run just to, you know, just to meet those goals. But that's my my, my near term goal in the next yeah. couple of months is a 50 miler. Um, I do have um, a I have a 50k in, in March. That's more of a fun run, so I'm not really trying to do anything there. Um, in June, I'm going to run the San Francisco Marathon that was pushed back from this year. So I would, would like to um, – my goal is to hit a PR there. Um, and then I would like to um, – the following year, I'd like to transition to a 100 marathon. Uh, I'm sorry, a 100 miler. Um, I'm typically I'm, – I'm in the past, I've been a middle-of-the-pack runner. Um, I see myself kind of falling back to the back of the pack mm. and getting slower as I go longer. Um, not necessarily a concern because I feel like I'm a stronger runner now than I was in the past. I don't really get injured. I can pretty much run every day. But my, my pace is just really not getting anywhere. In fact, it's a little bit slower than it was when I was a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I don't get injured um, like I used to when I was younger, which is good. But um, I'd like to, I don't really mind being the, you know, the tortoise, but I wouldn't mind having a little bit more of the hair in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to run a little bit faster because I. I I typically do long runs on um, on my weekends because I do work um, during the week. Pretty stressful job. So I, I do a, a long run on Saturday, usually about four hours, and I try and get in a two to three on Sunday. Um, and I, and I don't necessarily want to increase the time, although I, I can, but I wouldn't mind covering more distance during during that time. Yeah. Um, while, while still having, still enjoying, I, I really do love those long runs, so I still want to keep them enjoyable. But I wouldn't mind seeing a little more return on my investment, I guess, for, for my time. Um, yeah. How much I mean, do that, you run during the week? At a high level. How much do you run during the week? Um, that that's pretty much. So I've been running probably about at least five days a week. Okay. Um, I, I'll, I'll get a Friday in, a Saturday, and a Sunday, and then it's basically whatever work will allow for during the week. Um, I'm starting to run with my daughter, so she will probably get about two runs during the week. So. I would say four minimum, probably five to six at maximum, but probably five on average. Okay. All right. So, and um, then during the yeah, week, so, what is that during the week? Like a, a 
quick lunchtime 45 or is it in so, the evening or in the morning? It's yeah. So, um, it's kind of changed recently because I, I recently, um, uh, I recently got, I have a Peloton tread and I got that fixed about a couple of weeks ago. So I've been kind of doing whenever I can, like on Tuesday, I probably got three runs in. I got a 45 in the morning, 45 at lunch and a 45 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the last two days I've got nothing because it's been so busy. So it's really, the week is a little more susceptible to, I guess, the, the, the lifestyle, kind of what's going on. Um, so, but generally about, about five days a week, um, I can tell you, my strengths really are running for duration. I can really run for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am I am extremely slow, though, So as I mentioned, so I'd like to do that. Um, again, another strength is I run relatively injury-free. And I, I just I, I love the long, slow runs. Um, some of my weaknesses are, again, they're being very slow. I'm not a fan of speed work. It's some of those things that I, I tend to dread, which maybe counter to what we will we'll, we'll, uh, talk about today, but that's just kind of my mentality. Um, I do notice that I think I have a pretty low turnover rate. I look mm-hmm. at some of my, um, my, my workouts. So I think an opportunity there may be to increase that. And then I also have noticed that on some of my uh, longer runs, while I do start off in zone two fairly well, um, my heart rate does kind of jump out of that zone two area which I think may be kind of that, you know, that area where I'm training probably too hard to get faster, but not fast enough to, in fact, get faster. So yeah. that's one concern. And then also, I'm, uh, I'm also a bigger runner. So I'm about, I'm, I'm 5'11", and I, I range here between 190 to 200. So that that may be, a, I'm sure that's a contributor to some of my uh, my speed stuff too. So okay. that's kind of me at a glimpse. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting some of the inputs you've said because, um, you know, a lot of them, you know the general um, input uh, feedback that you would usually get in order to break out to out of the steady system, steady approach that you're currently doing. Um, uh, interesting that you said that your cadence slows. So... There's this approach that you would want to consider. This is the first thing I would say is um, speed work isn't necessarily effort or a pace. And this is what many misunderstand. Speed work for you could just be a focus on increasing the leg turnover. Of course, Uh the heart rate will go up. Different groups or muscle groups are stimulated. You're lighter on your feet. More of your running form is up high and behind you. So it just changes the physiology a little bit of of your movements and your recruitment. You can work on higher turnover. That's all you need to focus on, irregardless of pace and heart rate. Now, we both know that as you're doing that, of course, the heart rate's going to kick up, and of course, the pace is going to improve. But getting away from those two parameters and focusing on cadence helps a lot of people. I'm going to work so, on so, leg turnover. Yeah, so, so, Chris, what, what is a good um, leg turnover? I mean, if you go on the internet, you hear all kinds of different things. I've heard, well, you need to be over 180 for most successful, and then I hear... Well, it's really kind of your physiology, so you can't really change that. So is, is there an ideal? Um, that is, you're totally right, a controversial, non-absolute value, right? Um, yes, 
if you look at world-class runners, most of them are above um, 180. They're running anywhere from 88 to 92 to 96 cadence per leg per minute. Um, so, so therefore, there's been a lot of talk, and I've, I believe in this as well, of being somewhat around the 88 to 92 number. Now, are they set up and efficient and super economical at that higher cadence, long, lean, super light? Of course, things settle in differently than different physiologies and running forms. Um, the, the beauty of cadence, as in leg speed for runners, is that it also has a training effect, a physiological effect. Um, it has all kinds of benefits. It makes your slower turnover easier on the body if you get more familiar with a higher cadence. So mm -hmm. even if you say, currently my leg turnover, which is not uncommon, is in the 160s, you know, 80 per leg, 82 per leg, um, per minute. That's, that's not uncommon, even lower than that. But if you can get that up a few beats, uh, uh, excuse me, a few stride lengths per minute, that's already going to have a big impact irregardless of some sweet spot of a number that you might want to get to. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so let me give you sort of an example of mine. So if I'm running a faster run, like maybe less than five miles, or it's, I, I just kind of want to just go out there a little bit, I'm probably around 176. And I, I can get over 180, uh -huh. you know, at times at certain, certain intervals. Um, but for my, my, my long runs, for the first probably two or three hours, I'll probably be in the one. 160s and then um towards the end i mean i may even see it drop to like 159 158 oh. that's when it gets you know that's just towards the end when it gets, it's just work but it's yeah. not yeah so that's how we're at yeah and i mean it's it's a typical um ultra running um place you're in that it turns into a slog um for lack of a better description that our form falls mm -hmm. apart after a couple of hours and then you know we're running um, our hips are dropping with every stride we sort of collapse onto that stride side where the foot strikes um, the body is weak core is weak chassis is weak we're fatigued and of course our landing time and our landing and our time foot connected to ground increases it's just that's mm -hmm. that's what fatigue and breakdown in the running form does and so yes it is about staying on top of that as long as we can um, but that's sort of getting way down a path of uh, that's not going to go overnight right um, yeah but in order to just close out that one piece for you foot speed a good thing to do is for example and it's very beneficial for a lot of time limited athletes and that is a treadmill if you're at the office or you the peloton um, um the peloton treadmill you, you set the speed so that your legs go a certain turnover and you just you know, do a certain amount of time on that per week. Like you can do six times five minutes with two minutes easy, like literally walking. Um, because it's going to be uh -huh. fatiguing. Five minutes is long. Three minutes, you know, 90 seconds to start. Um, because it just sets you up. You don't even have to think. Your legs are turning over at that piece, pace in order to keep up with the speed you set on the Peloton or yeah. any treadmill. And, so tr 
And that's funny you say that because I, I did a I did that five by one mile test uh-huh. um, begrudgingly because I don't like dashboard pass. Yeah. Um, I did that on Saturday, and then I, I did on Monday. I did a similar race, and I set the pace a half a half um, a half a minute mile faster on the treadmill, and I was able to keep it flying. Yeah. So the treadmill does seem like I can go faster because I settle into this kind of. Well, you kind of get used to it, right? You can yeah. kind of dial in where you need to be. So, um, I'm just starting now to get back into the treadmill. I, yeah, I've been I've been running primarily trails and and the roads for the last probably eight months. Yeah. Um, but I'm starting to get back into that now. So it's good to hear that at least the treadmill is not a waste of money. No, it's not a waste of your time. And I will say this just so that you know from a physiology standpoint. A lighter, leaner runner struggles more on a treadmill to hold pace. Mm-hmm. A heavier runner, a thicker runner, will have it easier on a treadmill to hold pace. Um, because, you know, overcoming the our body mass over gravity distance on when we generate it ourselves by running, um, that's harder on the body than a belt forcing our legs to turn over. The lighter mm-hmm. runners struggle with that because they can easily dance on the pavement in light strokes and far on each stride with the push-off, land, lever, lift, um, versus on a treadmill being dictated by the push-off doesn't create the stride distance. It's actually the belt. So it's a good way for you to see the two contrasting styles. Yeah. Yeah. So would you recommend doing some more turnover exercises on the treadmill? It's great to do once a week. Again, if you're limited with time, it's a great workout to incorporate once a week into your five workouts a week. I would surely do one. Not very long. It's more the, the focus, the desired outcome of that session is clearly working on leg turnover and just becoming more efficient and economical at Uh, let's say you dial in 180, right? And then you watch over weeks that the heart rate comes down while you're doing it. It's not quite as difficult or taxing or whatever. So that's one way. You could also do some downhill. I'm not sure if the Peloton has negative incline. That also helps. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing for you, and that keeps you away from the speed work if it's really something you don't like, is strides. Strides are really good for that. Let's say at the end of your five-mile run, at the end of your four-mile run during the week or six-mile run during the week or three-mile run, that you do six to eight strides. And strides are just on an open space, usually like a soccer field or a football field type of space or even a, a bike path or an a, a open space where you can run about 100 yards. And what you do is you start the first 30 30 yards and you just start ramping up speed and leg turnover every 30 yards. At about 90, you've hit maximum speed at about 75 to 80 yards. You're at maximum speed. You hold that for about 15, 20 yards. And then those last 10 yards, you wind it down. So 30 fast, 30 faster, 30 fastest possible turnover. That's 30 yards. And then 10 yards or more to just unload and and run it out easy and you do six or eight of those again it just gets that leg turnover going it's not too taxing because it's not long enough but it's a stimulus that the body starts recognizing we're doing this leg turnover thing 
Mm-hmm. Um, so would you recommend doing that in addition to the turnover on the treadmill? or um, I wouldn't do those on the same those? day. I would not do those on the same day. Okay. Yeah. So that's another workout that you can incorporate. Um, another workout to uh, addition that you could do to your regular run is jump rope. Um, a jump rope is phenomenal with regards to keeping us light on our feet. The biggest issue that those runners that run heavy and run with a lower cadence struggle with is they don't land light. They don't mm-hmm. just run. You, you, you've run with people, surely, that you hear just, they're just tap, 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 tap. You know, it's very light. They don't land heavy yeah. and you can barely hear them running. Um, if anything, you hear their breath, not their feet hitting the ground. That's what you want to start envisioning when you close your eyes and see yourself running. You want to see yourself running like that, becoming aware of how your foot is landing, not necessarily form and technique, but more the the hearing of it, the sound of your foot. The, the less you hear, the lighter you're landing. So jump rope, again, where you're just landing and bouncing off very quickly, quick double step, right? Just fast jump rope um, is a great way to keep you light on your feet. Tap, 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 you know, quick jump rope turnover. Um, Doesn't have to be a big push off, just very light, but again, keeping you learning to be light, using the calves and Achilles and the whole lever function of our foot. We land and we lever off of it. And in order to have a good lever, It needs to be light. It needs to be trigger happy. It needs to hit the ground and immediately want to bounce off. And jump rope is another exercise uh, technique to help with that. At the end of a run, let's say you finish um, your Sunday two to three hours and you were pretty tired from the day before and you just felt like you're in this steady, same groove, um, not really running fast um, sensation. Finish that with a couple hundred, eventually maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred sets of one hundreds jump rope, and again, it just it's another stimulus to wake the body up at the end of a workout and go, oh, we still have to be light, we still have to recruit, we still have to engage. Um, again, another technique to keep you light on your feet. Okay, so I'm taking some notes. Yeah, of course, of course, and I would I would hope you do that. Um, so the big piece here is, you know, we can't continue to do, um, in this case, what we're looking at, at even on the max end, seven, eight, maybe nine hours of running a week and all at the same speed, right? We can't expect to get faster if we don't change the rubber band stretching and relaxing. If the rubber band just stays at one tension the entire time, you it will get hard and dry out and will rip because it's not being asked to do anything, just like a muscle or anything. So we need to stretch it and recover and stretch it and recover. We need to ask the body to do things on the far ends of its fitness. So let's say you're running your long runs at 11 minute miles. Well, can we do stuff at nothing crazy at 8.30 to nine minute pace? And can we do stuff relaxed, easy at 12, 13 minute pace? Speed play, back and forth. Your Sunday runs might be a good opportunity to do, like, I'm going to go six minutes at nine and six minutes at 13. So I'm staying away from the, the 11 by just enough that it doesn't absolutely shell me, but I can go back and forth on those. 
yeah, one thing I notice is is if I, if I think if I go right on a Sunday morning, let's say I come about for two hours, there's always a potential that I'll go for a run in the afternoon too, just because I I just want to. Yeah. And I notice I do somehow regulate myself in that first run. I don't know if it's the central governor theory or what, but I will always think, well, you probably get a run in the afternoon, so I think I am limiting myself. Should I? Should I dedicate one day just to do dedicated speed work and not introduce the potential to have another run in the afternoon? Well, Gene, every workout should have an intention, a clarity, yes. and a purpose around it, right? I am doing this, that's the intention, because I want this, that's the purpose, and then the prescription is the clarity of what the intention and the purpose is. So. I'm going into this run, I'm not, and this is a dangerous space that many athletes are in that I, that you've heard from the podcast, that exercise versus train. Without going into a workout, without intention, clarity, and purpose, we run into a, a, a well, let's see how I feel and then I'll decide, <laughs> right? I've, yeah. do, I've done the same thing. Um, and that doesn't, that's not going to make us better. Going into the yeah. Sunday morning, regardless of your Sunday afternoon, that being a bonus, what's my intention with this? Well, yesterday I ran long. So my ability to know that I properly absorbed yesterday's four, yesterday's three, eventually you're going to have to run more than four because to get ready for an 11, 12, 13 hour run, it can't just be a four. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the next morning, wake up. And do some leg turnover stuff or do something just outside of your comfort zone where this is uncomfortably fast, but I'll just stay here. It's not hard, but it's harder than I usually would run. I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to settle. That's a great run to do a day after a long run. Again, don't let the body dictate the pace, the intention, the mind, the prescription dictates the pace. And over many years of having the body dictate the pace, you sort of get into this groove that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing I've been starting to, I, I just recently got a heart rate monitor. I'm surprised that I've been training with that one. And the first 50 miles, I didn't even really look at my heart rate. Which is fine. So I, I got, yeah, which it's actually worked fine for many years. Yeah. But I'm starting to get pretty interested in that because I don't, I want to run for a long time, and I don't want to put undue stress on my body. It's unnecessary. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, but stress is good. Notice. Remember that the Go right. Str remember the right stress is what training is. Just training is a stress stimulus, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to progress, we need stress. Otherwise, the body prefers by human nature by anything in nature homeostasis it likes to be stay where it's familiar it likes mm -hmm. to sit on the couch and rest up for some time coming our primal selves i'll need to run for a long distance or run really fast away from something and so forth so it it prefers rest and homeostasis so in order for it to be a better runner we need to stress it so I can, you know, so I did your five by one mile test mm -hmm. and my results seem pretty slow, but then when I do a tempo run, I can run a lot faster for some reason 
over the same distance. I typically do my – there's a lake I run around by my house, which is mm-hmm. about five miles. Um, and I can typically run that – I mean, I could do eight and a half if I want to kill myself. I can uh-huh. probably dip into the sevens. But then when I, when I did the five by one mile, I was like at eight and a half. Yeah. And so it's kind of confusing to me that, that breaking it up is actually causing it to slow down a little bit. Well, Gene, that might be your head getting in the way. Could be. Right? The fear of what a measured mile means might be like, I'm afraid to blow up. These are numbers and values I'm going to work with. Therefore, pressure builds. Yeah. And I can tell you when I did the the five mile test, it was, I I was not looking forward to that run. I just like, oh, I wish we could just do a normal run. But yeah, Yeah. I think you might be right. Yeah. It's, 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 and again, all these things are quite common with many athletes. Um, mm-hmm. Either they start too slow on the five by one, and then once it's more measurable, and they're like, "Ah, oh, I see the finish line. I can figure this out. The last two, I'll, I have a minute rest. I'll be fine." Then all of a sudden, they're a lot faster, and you're like, "I, I know right away. <laughs> well, that was not yeah. a very useful test." The 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 fear of blowing up sits for so many, but yet blowing up is technically. The entire purpose, because it gives you better data than if you were a measured controlled output. Because knowing where our wall is, knowing where our threshold is of of where we'll blow up will tell us way more for our training than being measured and controlled. And in just in as in any theory, if we know where the wall is then we can work up to the wall and improve ourselves to push the wall further out. But many athletes don't like to approach the wall, even know where the wall is because they're too measured, and therefore we're stuck in the same bubble of performance. So the ability to blow up, so even with your zones and the numbers you've determined from those zones, or I don't know if I sent them to you, if anything, the contrast here needs to be zone two and zone four. Zone mm-hmm. two and above zone four, even if it's just... Yeah, sure. Yeah. And actually, Chris, I'm hoping that's one thing you could help me with uh, during this discussion is to help... I don't actually don't have my target heart rate zones. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, I was going to... Um, I had to reach out to a local clinic, a running clinic, to, to find my lactic thresholds and get my, my running yeah. zones. And that's great. They actually never got back to me. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just... Call. I'm also spending the money and talk to Chris. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could potentially help me with those. Oh, for sure. And I, I guess can... another question I would have is, should I be going by effort or should I be going by the zones? Because I find that sometimes my effort doesn't feel bad, mm-hmm. but I, I am creeping into that most likely zone three area, mm-hmm. the upper zone three. Yeah. And that, I'm not, you know, some people say that's not a good place to be. Um, I, I just, I still feel good there, but yes. longer term, maybe I should be training lower. I don't know. Everybody feels good there because it's the sweet spot where just enough glycogen from the anaerobic engine is being supplied as well as the aerobic engine is supplying um, fat. And so you're in this sweet spot where everything's burning nicely. And that's why everybody loves the sensation of zone three. It's just, just enough rocket fuel being supplied by the anaerobic energy system and just enough fat and long distance energy supplied by the aerobic energy system. The problem is none of them are being taxed to grow, expand, and become stronger. So Mm -hmm. back to your original question, 
Again, intention. If you write out your week in advance and say, today's a field day on effort, and I'm going to do this on an effort day, that's fine. And then on another day, today's a heart rate day. I have specific intervals and specific parameters around what I'm doing, and I'm going to stick to heart rate. And my tolerance for both will not go away because there's field days, and then there's effort, and then there's zone days. And again, you'll get, as we use those more, in general, we get very in tune with those zones, and therefore, you don't even need the heart rate monitor after a while. But in the beginning, it's good to have sort of a, a governor or an accelerator to tell you, dude, you're going too slow, let's pick it up. Or, whoa, 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 I, I'm supposed to go easy on easy days, hard on hard days. And in order to go zone four or above, I need to make sure today or this part is easy enough in order to have the reserves and the power and the mental um, strength to push hard enough for the four and five times. <laughs> so it's my own ego too. So you know, when you run in San Diego and you run on the beach, oh, yeah. you're on the boardwalk and you see these people running and beautiful girls and or these guys are running really fast. And it's hard for you to stay in zone too. Oh yeah. You want to, you want to flaunt a little bit. So yeah. that's probably part of my location. Maybe but change it, that a little but, bit too. Well, but that's the perfect thing. Like again, if you're going to go four hours on trails, that's your zone two day. Yeah. Right. So reward mm -hmm. yourself during the week with your quality and higher turnover and your speed work, for sure. And again, if you're at nine-ish hours, eight to nine-ish hours of running a week, seven to nine-ish hours, if four of them are zone two already on that, you're already at 50% right there. So Yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably about a, I'm probably about an eight-hour zone lower level and then maybe two so I'm probably about eight to nine. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that going to be enough to 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 see a decent uh, fifty mile time? Well, it's hard to say that. Um, just, just blanket state that, right? It's hard to uh -huh. say what will work for you. What will work though is implementing some changes with the eight to nine hours that you have. And then how that translates to fifty to translates to fifty miles. Well, that's a different question. Um, it will help your leg turnover, and it will help your speed, and it will help help your what's called lactate buffering, your ability to process the lactate that's being built up, and then use it for energy as well as be in that space a little bit. But fifty miles, remember, you know, even if it's flat, is a 10, 11, 12 hour day. So. You know, if your longest run is only four, you have to consider like, how am I going to extend that out? When's my fitness going to run out? And most likely that's going to run out at six, seven hours. Um, and so now you still have three, four hours, which will make your overall time relatively go backwards because you aren't, you don't have the eight to nine hour fitness. You, you mentioned long runs and that's a, it's a great, before we get off that topic, Towards the end, as I start getting closer to the 50 miler, last time I did a I did a 30 miler one day, a 10 a 20 miler the next day, and then a 10 mile after that. Should I be increasing that 30 miler, or should I be increasing that 20 miler, or is it, are back to backs okay? Back to backs are fine. So you did 30, 20, 10. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I would 
spread that out a little bit. Like, of course, that's a great simulation weekend. You just did more than the event in three days, which we wouldn't want the residue of that in regards to fatigue and just physically and mentally, adrenally, etc., to last too long because that could be good four or five weeks by the time you properly absorb a big jump in volume like a 30, 20, 10 in, in 72 hours. Um, so if, if, if that, I would probably recommend, well, instead do a 30 miler one weekend and then a couple weeks later do a, maybe work your way up to a 35, 38 miler, but without the, the, the volume the next day, you know, in the meantime, you can do the distance. That was good on the first yeah. round. So now it's not a question of doing the distance. How can I do it better, stronger, smarter, faster? And so now you want to say, all right, I want to build up my tolerance that I'm running with decent form. None of us can hold good form unless we're the super runners um, for 30 miles or 40 miles. But how long can I hold decent form, decent um, energy? And what I mean by energy is that we still have our wits about us. We're still making good decisions. We're eating and drinking. We feel pretty good while we're running at 24, 25, 26 miles before the slog fest kicks in. That's when we should be stopping. And that's where we might say, all right, I only got in 24 on Saturday. I only got in 28 on Saturday, but I'm gonna stop there. I'm not just gonna continue miles for miles, but because guess what? Those last three, four, five, six, seven miles are running bad form. And I don't need to practice running bad form. <laughs> that's, that's something we wanna stay away from. I'd rather stop replenish, refuel, recover a little bit, and tomorrow run another eight, nine, 10 with good form, good posture, good turnover, and absorb that. You still did, let's say in this case, 30 to 32 miles in a matter of 24 hours, plenty. That's plenty of running for a 50 miler, absolutely. And so then I would take that principle and maybe build that to, I ran a solid 30, 31, 32 miles, Tomorrow I'm going to run another clean 10. That's plenty. Now you're at 42 miles in a 24-hour window. That's plenty for a rested and properly tapered 50-miler. So spread that stress out over four, five, six weeks. You mentioned form. Is there a quick form check I can do? Um, I mean, obviously you run long enough, you're going to get tired. So I don't, I don't know if exhaustion is going to be a good measure of that. <clears throat> is there a couple things I can look at just to say, hey, you know what, this form is suffering a little bit or it's, it looks okay? Um, it's hard to say that um, without, you know, video and knowing what you run like. But I would, it's, again, it's, one, it's trail running, it's ultra running. So we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. And we're not looking to win it. Um, but you want yeah. to improve. And I think I go more there instead of form by energy. You know, we know, when we hit a point where you're just sort of, we're looking at the watch and it's like, how many more miles? I just, yeah, it's just like, I'm just moving forward. Um, that's what we want to avoid. Now, don't get me wrong. There's days where that happens. And we sometimes that happens at mile 12 and we need to get through it because by mile 16, we feel better again. Usually it's a food, a fueling and a hydration question, right? If we've properly built up the volume. But um, yeah, I wouldn't overthink the form on trails too much versus 
the energy levels. Um, my mm -hmm. body might be tired, but I feel good mentally. I'm alert. I finish my run. I can look at my family or my partner or whatever, and I feel I feel fine. Am I exhausted? Yes, but my, I, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Like, right, like that. That's energy. What I what I call. We're not completely shelled and depleted within our frame and just falling within into ourselves um that happens a lot and whether it's marathon training 50 mile training 100 mile training 200 mile training we don't need to just continuously practice on tired legs and slogging away i'd rather repeat 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 but each one of the repeats are better form better posture better energy miles than um just slogging it in one sitting so Christian, you mentioned the difference between 50 milers and say if i rode marathon mm -hmm. um what i want so I, I plan to do a 50 miler in january and then i'd like to really increase my speed by the um san francisco marathon in june yeah do, do those do those trainings are they counterproductive can they coexist well, you're not asking for them to coexist. You are asking them to come one after the other. And so a 50... Yeah, it's a transition, yeah. yeah, and it's great, actually. You can take your 50-miler fitness and now start working on exactly the leg speed, the, 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 the contrasting speed components, the um, tempo, all that stuff from the fitness that you built in the 50-miler. And now compress that into a 25 miler, technically, right? Um, to run a fast marathon. That's where it's going to become critical to say, all right, I'm going to do, let's say, under overs, where I'm going to be under nine minute mile or whatever. Yeah, about nine minute mile if you're running those at 8:30. So where you say I'm going to stay in the eights, whatever. Then the first number has to be an eight. But then I'm going to do, let's say you build up to three miles of that, and then I'm going to go two miles easy at the number has to be a 10, right? You're staying away from that whatever number um, that seems to just be your dead zone where I run all day anyway. Um, and again, mm -hmm. stimulating different speeds. The body will want to do that after the 50-mile training because it's shorter, it can absorb it quicker, it recovers quicker, you're not asking it to do as much. And so the stimulus will be very important to make sure now, once you're recovered from the 50-mile, that it's higher quality. If I'm going to run, I'm going to run with how is this workout, how is this segment, how is this day, how is this weekend fit into the overall puzzle piece on a good marathon? Is it progressing me forward? So as I transition from that 50 miler to a probably smaller 50K the next month and then ultimately to the, the marathon in June, would I keep those longer runs on the weekends, or could I, or do I start to start to make have those be more targeted towards speed work and, uh, and shorter distance? Valid question. Now the question would be, what kind of um, marathon are you looking to run? Are, are you saying with regards to speed? Yeah, with regards to like time. Um, I, I'd look for a three thirty to three three forty five because okay. I'd like to get faster. Um, uh, my PR for a half is like 142. For a marathon, it's 350. Okay. Uh, but I definitely want to do a PR in June. And then I'd like to say, hey, maybe I should transition to do a Boston qualifier 
Yeah. I have a run in Long Beach the following October. Yeah. Maybe that's a possibility, right? But I, I want to see how I feel if I can actually get, get some of that speed back that I had a couple years before. Yeah, so I would think that you take the 50-miler um, type of uh, fitness, which is a you know, 11, 12 hour event, maybe longer. And now you start, as you, once you're recovered, you start thinking, well, I want to be at a pretty uncomfortable effort for three and a half to 340. So the 50K in between, again, how am I using that 50 kilometers, that 31 miles, in order to have a better 26.2? And that's this similar. I want to raise my tolerance to put the energy I expended in 50 miles into 50K, which means you're going to have to run it a lot harder to burn and, and, and put that in a smaller window. And then how do I take the energy of a 50K and compress that even more higher effort, higher turnover, higher burn rate, higher, higher suffering rate into three hours and 35 minutes. So um, again, building your tolerance of understanding I need to run, therefore eight minute miles. And so if I'm running eight minute miles, which is I think a 333, um, therefore, well, I gotta be comfortable with running 10 miles at 7.30, but for now. So let's say your long runs go to, or you're building up a tolerance with, let's say, the speed um, changes that I talked about. Well, I'm going to run 720s for three miles and 920s for a mile. And then I'm going to run another three miles at 720s, and then I'm going to recover, not fully, but enough to be successful for another mile. And now I just did, you know, that's already eight miles. I do that one more rotation. Now that's a 12-mile run. You average basically close to your marathon goal pace, but you are constantly on one edge or the other edge of the spectrum. So that's a good you know, long run day, um, building up the tolerance to that. Then still those strides. Then still that cadence work. And then there's days where after you did the speed work, let's say with the, the long run work on a Saturday, like I often have my athletes do, you wake up on a Sunday and you run a hard 10K. Why? Because on those tired legs, you're fresh enough, you've recovered from the Saturday, you've slept, you've eaten plenty, you've hydrated. Now, of course, there's still some fatigue, but not enough to really ruin it. 10K, faster than marathon pace, just to show I'm absorbing the work, it's clearly being tolerated, I can if I want to. And those... Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. And those are the little confidence builders, but also momentum towards, all right, when I go to 4-1 or 5-1 on the speed plays, or when I enter a half marathon, or um, and, and just for a training day, and I go, I say, I'm going to hold slightly faster than marathon pace for the first 10 miles and then find out what's left in the tank for the final three. That's fun stuff to figure out, all right, I'm on track. It's not super taxing. It's not asking you to run six minute miles. But if you run the, a half marathon or even prepare a course and you say, all right, today I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna run 10 of these miles. I'm planning to do eights. Um, for the marathon, so I'll run at 7.45 to 7.55 or 7.59 pace. And now I did that. I executed that. I'm already feeling pretty good about those 10. 
Now let me see what else I can do. Might not be anything, <laughs> but mm-hmm. if there is, there's just little insights and learning and development and confidence and mental fortitude that you're building of, man, I was able to speed it up. I'm on the right path. That validates how next week when I don't want to do it, when it's fatiguing, when I'm achy, when I want to sleep, when I don't want to do X, Y, Z, I'm going to do it because it's working. So you mentioned in intervals. Should I be, should the intervals, um, should I be doing like like 400 meter intervals, 800 meter intervals? Um, I found in the past 800 meter intervals, I start off really. I find it to be very. I start off very fast, and then I finish really bad form, really slow. Yeah. Four hundreds tend to be a little bit easier for me to maintain, or at least more consistent. Yeah. But I'm wondering, is there a benefit between either or? Yeah, you just said it. <laughs> Again, keep the high level principles in mind. The main principles, and that is not running bad form. There's no need for that. Again, so this is what I talk to a lot with a lot of athletes about and my assistant coach. It's it's around high-level principles, and we're working with time-starved athletes. If you had all the time in the week to run and could do 14 different workouts, then it's the question of running on tired legs or let the bad form go for a little bit. Then we snap out of it with a, a couple of leg turnover or bounding intervals and then see how it all ties together and it's a bigger it's a different story we're time starved athletes you have other things you went pro with in your life you have family you have career blah 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 so therefore let's get back to the main principle if we're going to train let's not train bad form and so something for you now you're looking to do a marathon in this case because we're going to come off that 50 miler and you're not going to that 50k is just sort of a fun thing in between it's either or right? You're going to take that along the way and just have fun with it. But then you're thinking, I need to have stamina. And stamina is your mental capacity to do the work and hold it despite the fatigue, right? It's a little bit higher quality. It asks you to be more at threshold. So now you're building your 10 400s, 12 400s, 16 400s, right? With limited rest, not necessarily two minutes, not necessarily a minute, maybe 45 seconds. Can you take off, in this case, you're getting ready for eight minute miles, can you do 145 400s? That's faster, that's you know that's your seven minute mile pace actually. But at a track, it comes easier, um, it's easier to hold that turnover, but sub two minutes, again, you were thinking, all right, I wanna run 12 400s with 40 seconds rest at 750, right? That way, I'm faster than my goal pace. My leg turnover is a little bit faster than my goal pace for a marathon, but I'm doing many of them, so I'm building stamina. So is, is that the rest interval that you would suggest is probably to get, I want to get to around 45 seconds between? Um, I want you, in a perfect world, you get the 30 seconds rest. Um, here's uh-huh. my here's my recommendation for a lot of athletes. It's one of my favorite workout groupings. I just do 10, 12, uh, 10, 12, 14, 16. I'm not sure if I do the 14 all the time. Um, it's 8, excuse me, it's 8, 12, 16. Increases by 4 every week. Um, it's a 3-week rotation, and then we go a recovery week. So we just made it a 4th week is an easy week. So so once a week for 4 weeks, you have a track workout. And you start with 8, 400s. Then you go the next week, 12, 400s. Then the next week, 16, 400s. That's a lot of 400s. That's used a to, lot. Yeah. 
I used to build up to 20 to 30. There's times I did 40 400s because if I can tick those out with 30 seconds rest at faster than marathon pace, well, guess what? I just ran 40 400s at marathon pace because if I add that rest back in, because you can do it as well once you get to a fitness level where you say, all right, I'm running them at 7.30. I take 30 seconds rest. I go on the eight and I did 20 400s like that. Well, you just did eight miles or uh, excuse me, you just did five miles, uh, yeah, five miles at full pace, despite rest. <laughs> so so would, would I break those up in sets at the beginning or just, just do them no matter what? Just no, you, you wake up and you got to run a marathon. You don't break that up in sets. That's, that's a good point. Okay. So, but important there, so that's the first part of the workout. You warm up, you do your 8 400s, your 12 400s, and your 16 400s. Now, once after that 12th one or 16th one or 8th one, you go for three, four miles of running and just go on feel. No longer at mm-hmm. time, no longer at heart rate, just on feel. And that feel is what you say is my marathon pace. This is what I would feel if I'm running a marathon. And that pace over months will improve because of the fitness level and your tolerances. It might be the feel after the 8-400s at 3-4 miles might be 9-30s. But then over time, after a rot- uh, two rotations, that might be at 8-30. And now you're going, wow, I just put away 16-400s with, you know, let's say you keep it at 45 seconds rest for now. Um, and then you ran three, four miles on the back end on feel, and that clicked into 830s. Now you know you're getting close. You were able to put away the 400s, the leg turn over, the speed work, the running high on your feet and your hips and your posture. And then you just went on feel, and it just clicked right in. That's when the body, then now you know you're, running stride, economy, efficiency, and uh, endurance is all starting to click. Now, you can you can extend the back end if you're feeling good and you like that workout and it's working. You can extend the front end. But what I would say, back to the, the rebuilding of it, I would say the 8-400, the 12-400, and the 16-400s on the first rotation is with a minute rest. Then the okay. next four-week rotation, you do it with, let's say, 50 seconds rest. And then the third rotation, now this is 12 weeks of training for let's say once a week of the track workouts. Um, That last one, maybe you do 40 seconds rest or 45 seconds rest. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's definitely faster than what I've been, I mean, that's less time than what I've been doing now, which uh, I think will definitely definitely tax me, but it'll definitely, as you mentioned, it'll probably help my uh, lactate clearance, right? The, the, The other thing there is Many people associate speed work with like these super fast sprints and your head's back and you're flying down the track. That's not going to help us for a marathon or let, even let alone a 50 miler because that form, that posture, that run turnover, how our foot is landing, how our hips are landing on the ground slash track, that's too removed from our running pace. Mm-hmm. So we want to stay within these 10% boundaries. So 10% on your eight-minute mile, right, is 480 seconds. So 48 seconds faster or slower sets your pace. So now when you're doing some tempo changes, 
plus and minus 10% is a good place to be. You might want to start at 5% so that it's not so dramatic. But 10% means on that 8-minute mile marathon, now you're going to run 712s to 7.15 for your fast miles, 2 to 3 of them. And then you slow down to 8.48s to 9 on the steady space where you're actively recovering while running. So now your footwork and your posture and your hip landing and all that is within the same technique than your eight-minute mile. If you get too much faster than it, it's just not the same stride. It's just not the same feel as you probably yeah. are familiar with. Mm-hmm. But that's all for marathon, right? Don't that, that I would, but I would definitely incorporate the track if you can. The more weeks you have like that, the better. That will help your uh, trail running too. Now you might run out yeah. of workouts there because for trail running, you also want to consider some hill repeats and some explosive stuff. And again, hill repeats don't necessarily have to be hard and fast, just steady up a steady gr- uh, uh, hill or an incline. Plenty of those in San Diego where you just have like a, you know, a four or a six or seven percent, not much more. Uh, maybe eight but i would say between four and eight steady incline for two three minutes steady running form up it's not explosive it doesn't have to be a sprint it's just steady right so that again you're recruiting different muscle groups more hamstring more glute and then you run back down for the eccentric leg strength for to to practice that same thing there's your repeats you want to do 10 of those or you know 10 times 60 second hill repeats but at steady pace or 90 seconds um it adds up to a lot of time of just steady running uphill and it's very beneficial just to create that stamina for the rolling hills and the climbs of a typical 50 miler would you be opposed like in a pinch if it was a bad day to do those hill repeats on a treadmill yeah but with a treadmill what i would do is every fifth one or every fourth one, so one, two, and three are steady, um, because the change in settings is too smooth and too gradual that it doesn't hit you the same way. That I would do the every fourth and or four, eight, and twelve. Let's say I would do those a lot faster. Make those explosive so that the body doesn't settle too much into a funk and steady homeostasis sort of rhythm. It recognizes. It's crazy how quickly the mind recognizes what it's doing and starts optimizing and trying to make it as easy on the body as possible. And so. In a treadmill scenario, the time it takes to get to four, five, six percent, it's so smooth and steady that the body is constantly adapting and quickly. And then the, the, the purpose of the hill repeat has almost been lost in the That's transition true. time between going up and going down. Okay. Um, sorry, I don't want to be respectful of your time. Yeah, no, we're fine. So I recently just joined down to Training Peaks. Mm-hmm. And I, thought, I, I kind of like the data they give us because I'm kind of a, I'm an engineer, so I'm kind of yeah. a dork. But also, <laughs> um, is there a play, do, do those numbers really mean anything? Or is there something that I should be shooting for with regards to the fatigue and fitness and form? Or is, um, is, that, just kind of, is that just kind of malarkey? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't say it's malarkey, but I wouldn't put too much um, – into it. It's the same as the recovery values on our watches and our garments and stuff. It's it's yeah. a number to see and be like, wait, it's going to take me how many days to recover or 
how many hours. Um, it's something just, it's another input, but we don't make it our Bible um, in that respect okay. that we, like, it's something to learn more about and then see how it applies to you based off the values of my Garmin, off my Koros in my case, or off of Training Peaks. Well, it's like, all right, it says for me, I need eight hours, but I feel fine in the afternoon. Yeah. Or, I always violate those, those things anyway. Yeah. Like 48 yeah. hours now, I'm running my 12. The data tracking on Training Peaks is what's really great is your volume, the, the charts, the duration, so you can see when you need some recovery weeks, the, the recovery score, the TSS stuff, and so on. I would not overlook that. The values in there, there's a there, that because, again, it's smart intelligence. It grows the bigger the database and the more it can mm -hmm. fine tune for you. So if you have, let's say like in my case, 15 years of information in there, it knows me pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it's, I would say it's pretty exact for me. Um, but sometimes but I look, I'm wondering, is there a fitness or a CTL score that I should be trying to target for a 50 miler? But it seems like they, they may not have enough data on me yet to really accurately. Yeah, like I mean, that'll grow, and they're pretty good with that, um, I will say that. Uh, it's mm -hmm. and, and the descriptions are on there with the CTL scores and so on. But um, it, it's, it's very similar to any type of book or publication. It's a parameter that's pretty wide because it covers and has a safety net, therefore, that you're pretty safe in there, that you'll finish a 50-miler, or that you're that you're within yeah. sort of being okay with it. Um, but in order to improve and push boundaries, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily rely on it that much. There's other data okay. that comes together in there that's pretty very good. <laughs> um, okay. But you'll, you'll learn that as you're going along. Like, let's say the, in the bike aspect, the uh, the best bike split stuff and so on that's that's really close um their their wattage values for cyclists their run paces in there for runners it's pretty close i mean it's 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 all again it's all data that you look at and you incorporate but you don't go by you know what i mean the difference between the two sure yeah, yeah. and actually you bring up a point um so we, we do have actually we have a couple trainers in my in our workout mm -hmm. workout room should I maybe incorporate a couple couple hours of, of bike training to uh, just simulate the heart and maybe not get the heavy load? Um, well, that sounds like a great idea, but if you're, I'd rather with the limited hours that you have in a week, I would recommend um, recovery and run well when you can versus adding more time that's not on your feet. Um, okay. It's not a question of, if you're spacing out those five runs in seven days, it's not a question of being too fatigued. It's more a question of getting in run time. Good quality, again, high principle of when I'm running, I'm running well with intention, with clarity, with purpose. I have a specific prescription, why I want to, what I want to get out of this, and then I'm moving on. Okay. Yeah. yeah I definitely have one more topic that I have on my, my list. Um, Stretching. I've heard multiple things on this. Mm -hmm. Some people say when you stretch, you lose elasticity, you lose speed. Um, I find that a light stretching does help me. At least my body it just kind of wakes things up. Is, did you have an opinion on that? My opinion on stretching is that if it works for you, do it. Right? Yeah. Like if it makes you feel good and it allows you to run better, do it. 
Um, yeah, I don't. It feels odd when I start running without. It's, it's almost like a priming me to start getting. For sure. I, I don't do it much. It's literally five minutes. And it's so. great for a mindset shift, right? Yes. Um, it's like I say to a lot of people: if you have certain triggers to get you to shift to being an athlete, and I'm a runner right now, and if stretching is part of that for you, that's great. That's part of it. Like whether it's getting into the, your running shoes and running outfit and putting on the heart rate monitor or starting the watch, those are all triggers to say I'm turning to athlete mode. And if part of yeah. that's stretching, for sure. Always would recommend that you're loosened up and warm and the muscles are supple and have some blood flow in them before you stretch them um, versus cold. There's too many people I see, let's say, back in a corporate environment, they would quickly go to the gym in the building, change, and I'd see them outside before they even started their run, stretching their calves on the curb or their hamstrings on the park bench. And I'm like, you're not even sweating yet. <laughs> you're just, yeah. That's when you're going to do damage and rip something or micro tears because the body's just not warmed up yet. But if you're warmed up and you, you just want to get supple and, and, and it feels good to you, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, sorry, one more topic. Yeah. If you want to hit, hit on um, diet. So, my wife typically follows a ketogenic diet. Uh -huh. um, I don't. I don't strictly do that, but I do. Like once a quarter, I do take a couple of weeks where I will do that. Uh -huh. It doesn't seem to affect my long runs. In fact, I think it helps because I, I never really bonk. But when I'm doing when I'm doing these speed workouts, I should definitely be taking some sort of. Um, glucose feeling supplement right or just something that, that will feel that is that correct well i'm not necessarily going to say a supplement that you would need for that yeah, yeah, yeah. supplement's a bad word right? yeah yeah food just yeah food glucose in it, food right? yeah something yeah some carbs in order to um supply the body with the fuel it needs for a higher um intensity output now of course for your long runs you're going to need fuel too and you want to prep that and practice that so that when you're out there for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours, your body is used to fueling while running. So that's another opportunity to practice that. Same as hydration. You want to keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, you don't necessarily need to eat too much before a track run or a higher quality or hill repeats because it, it's not long enough. If it, if it were two, three hours, then it's something you want to fuel ahead of time. Now, do you want to come and starve? No. But your normal meals, um, there's a perception out there a lot of times that I need to eat a lot and then a protein shake after. And it, we're not doing enough to do that. Um, it's yeah. a good, healthy diet. is plenty of nutrients to feed those muscles and help with recovery and provide you with the fuel sources and so forth for these shorter workouts. Um, now, do you want to eat a big lunch right before you head to the track? No, but I don't think you're doing that in the first place. No, I mean, it's not a cause for me to run three or four hours without any food. So I'm just now trying to get that back into my system. And I, I, I do see, <clears throat> I see better returns on, on my, my long runs when I do feel, but it's not required. So I just want to make sure that. It's not required. I hear, I hear some people say that, oh, if you train your body carb depleted, it learns, teaches you to burn fat better. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's not necessarily the case. Um, not necessarily the case. Okay. That that's just um, it. It's quite clear, and the fat adaptation is a different process that um, amateur athletes have to look at differently 
Um, and I'm not going to dive into that now because that's a longer discussion. But um, again, take your avatar of who you would be on that three, four hour run had you fueled and see where that might have been. Um, and it's not a question of that run. It's a question of what you do after the rest of the day. If you're ravenous and hungry later on, that will affect your body composition and trying to lose weight towards the running because starving yourself in order to get through the run, although you might not even feel it, those signals might have been taught to turn off for after doing it so often. Um, and then later in the day, you eat more than you need to eat or overeat. But then secondly, emptying the fuel tank for a three, four hour run, it will compromise your next day and the following day onto what that avatar had you fueled would have been running as well and feeling and absorbing and adapting to the training load and stress that the work, the workout is. I see. And so okay. that the bigger picture is to keep in mind, the body doesn't know the training miles, the miles you're running. The body knows stress, whether it's physical stress or depletion stress of not eating. The body only knows stress. It doesn't know, oh, I'm running. Therefore, on this type of stress, it only knows stress. It only knows the load it's being presented with. And depleting it with lack of fuel is going to have a different response, stress and stimulus and response and stress of that, the, the, the stress is the response to that stimulus, is that you're going to have some sort of reaction to it. And so those are the the bigger pictures that you want to keep in mind. Yeah, I didn't feel like I needed to eat today, but is this helping my athlete self to have the best possible workout again tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after? Because endurance athletes, you're all always thinking about how will this affect me in five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve 10, 12 days from now. The uh-huh. overuse injury never shows up the next day. The depletion, the crash, the getting sick and the first signs of overtraining never show up the next two, three days. They show up 10, 12, 14 days down the road where the body just finally has had it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's good to know. I can tell my wife I can have some, some food, real food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, but I... That's a different discussion, the nutrition discussion. That's not for me yeah. to get into. Sure. Again, right now, that's more Emily and her work. But um, yeah, it, I, it's not something I can really <laughs> – no, I don't right. want to get between you, you and your wife. You're providing a wealth of information already. So the only component – respectful of your time. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. the only component I, I definitely want to leave you with is – don't overlook the strength you need. Hamstring strength, glute strength, hip flexors, um, all that area. Um, make sure that you're doing something weekly, bi-weekly, 10, 15 minutes to activate the hamstring, to strengthen the hamstring, to make sure they're part of your running stride, um, that you are firing properly from the glutes and the hamstrings and engaging all that. Um, the hip flexors and so and so as and all that support musculature that when it gets fatigued carries so much load. Um, having good hamstring activation, recruitment, um, movement, flexibility, mobility is critical. And so as you're doing your prep for the 50 miler and then looking to go faster for a marathon, 
you want to address a huge component in order to be able to have the uh, comp the body the chassis integrity to handle what you're asking the legs and the body to do. So, so Chris, would I do? <clears throat> excuse me, would I do something in addition to the six to eight strides of the jump rope or the tempo runs? Yeah, I would with do some, to pure strength. Yeah, you can easily uh, um, uh, Google some hamstring runners exercises. Right or on YouTube, there's a variety of things, um, you know, poor man's leg curl, things like that, where you strengthen the hip flexors. Also, mobility, just in general, your ability to properly squat um, and how far you can get down without your heels coming off the ground and so forth. There's a variety. YouTube is is fantastic with that, but um, I would look into that. Yeah. Okay. So, Chris, I, I think we, again, we were respectful of your time. I think we, we overran our time. I would like to get my target heart rate sounds. Can I just send those to you? Absolutely. Would that be possible? For sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah. And you, you want the five by uh, one mile? Um, yeah, you did five right? by one mile with one minute rest. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I got those. So, yeah. I'll go ahead and send those to you. Yeah. Sure. And okay. I hope... I hope you got enough tidbits, prescription, high-level details, all of it. I got two sheets of notes. <laughs> Good. To, um, to I'll, sort I'll of down into the training plan. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And if you, you know, have any questions, even, even just talking to you, it, it makes me feel more. I have to be more accountable and more. Uh, as you mentioned, more intense in those runs. So yeah. I think it's gonna. It's really gonna help me very much. So. Yeah. Again, it's. And what I say to a lot of athletes is like, how do you want to feel at that finish line of the 50 miler? And do you want to look back over the last 12, 16 weeks, four or five months and say, huh, there's probably a lot of things I could have done. It has to relate to the feeling you feel at the finish line. If you did everything you could and you feel pretty good about it and it is who you are currently, this version of yourself, that's fine. Because then you can just be like, you know what? I gave it my best. But yeah. 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 To be honest with you, I mean, I'll tell you what I'm facing. Uh, probably what most men my age are facing. I want to feel faster than I was when I was younger. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of that race against time. Eventually, yeah. things will get slower, but I think I probably have another 10 years where yes. I can actually, I think I could get a little bit better. You could. And then we'll start to slow the, slow the decline, right? So yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's forty three is there's no ex there's no excuses yet there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. But it starts, Gene. It starts with, you know, first just holding line and getting a little bit faster, and then yep. you can and, and build that momentum to all right, how fast can I get, versus just trying to bite off that entire piece of how fast can I get in a matter of twelve weeks. That's going to be asking too much. And uh, yeah, again, I, I'm a turtle by nature, running and life. I'm not, I'm not in a hurry. I yeah. just want to slowly get better. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Implement small steps that add up to a big, big journey. So, so Chris, what would you recommend as a, as a follow-up? Um, after my 50 miler, should we sync up and maybe reorientate, look at my numbers for potentially the June Gladly. Um, marathon? Gladly. Um, I would also say in about six weeks, you just send me an email. We check in on how it's okay. going, sort of what questions you have and how it's going. And, and if there's anything that's still missing, I'd be glad to help. And then, yeah, okay. I would say after the 50 miler, you know, you're going to need a couple weeks to reset from that. It, it, you might feel good after, let's say, 10, 12 days. But 
what's below the surface is still a lot of fatigue. So don't ask yourself to do that too quickly, but it's not going anywhere and you're going to feel pretty good quickly coming back for the marathon. Don't, don't panic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. Hey, we went a little bit over. I no worries. The extra 14 minutes. No worries. So, um, yeah. So, um, again, thank you for your time. I'm a of huge course. fan of the podcast. It's basically taken up my, that's what I listen to when I do my long runs. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Well, I appreciate even though, that. Even though, even though you just met me, I feel like I've known you for quite a while. So, again, <laughs> well, I appreciate all the input. Well, thank you. I appreciate the, yeah. the compliment. <laughs>